0: It's
1: from 6 on 2FM. Well, a big thanks to African Johnny B for the afternoon entertainment. It is Friday, November 24th. I am Shane Dawson and you are listening to Game On. Coming up between now and 7pm, Alan Colley and Fergal Brennan mark the return of Premier League football after the international break. Jane Mangan previews the best of the weekend's racing and in boxing, Siobhan Madigan looks ahead to Saturday's showdown between Katie Taylor and Chantelle Cameron. Neil Tracy chats rugby as Leinster and Munster meet at Lansdowne Road. And we'll wrap up all of today's news headlines. As always, if you want to have your say, you can drop us a text. 51552 is the number.
2: Game on on 2FM. 2FM.
1: Yes, hello there. Good evening. Hope you're getting set for a good weekend. You're very welcome along to Game On. News headlines before we cross to Neil Tracy, who's standing by the chat Rugby. League of Ireland attendances have increased by 20% since last year, while almost a combined 1 million people attended domestic competitions during the year. The men's Premier Division's on increase of 22.4%, with eight clubs recording a rise in average attendance, most notably Bohemians at 32% Roddy United 31% and St Pat's 21% only Dundalk and relegated UCD saw a decrease in the top flight Athlone Town who reached the playoffs enjoyed the largest average increase in the first division going up by 184% atten- att- attendances I should say in the SSE or Tristy Women's Premier League Division have gone up from 23,907 to 33,840 since last year with average crowd sizes having increased by 57% Champions PMO United experienced a 182% rise in their average attendance since last year. Four fixtures in the Women's League drew attendances of more than 1,000 for the first time in the competition's history. So great news on the Association Football Front at Home.
2: Game on. Rugby.
1: But as I mentioned, Neil Tracy is standing by to chat rugby. And Neil, I suppose there is only one place to start and that is the meeting of Leinster and URC champions Munster at Lansdowne Road. How much are you looking forward to this one, Neil?
0: Yeah, evening, Shane. Um, it's going to be brilliant. Um, I, I'll be honest, for the last couple of weeks, I was ever so slightly curious as to see what sort of a crowd were we going to be getting in the Aviva Stadium tomorrow, just to see was there going to be any bit of a, a World Cup hangover lingering after the after what went on in France and the, the emotional energy that everyone kind of um, uh, spent over there. But, I mean... Pretty much close to sold out. I reckon it will be sold out by tomorrow. I think as of today, 48,000 tickets were gone for it. Um, When you break it down, probably in part, it is probably because of Munster's win when the sides met back in May at the Aviva Stadium in the URC semi-final that um, I think a few people have probably said did kickstart this rivalry a little bit it I don't think it ever fully went away but it was getting a little bit one-sided Munster's only win in quite some time against Leinster before that had been in the the Rainbow Cup back in 2021 which really didn't really stack up with the with the size of the other games I think also going along with it as well is the fact that we've got so many of the World Cup players involved in this as well Leinster if you look at the the fifteen they have selected are pretty much as close as they could possibly be to their full strength starting fifteen. Aside from maybe James Lowe, who isn't there tomorrow, um, while Munster, hey, they're missing someone like Peter O'Mahony and Jack O'Donoghue as well. But likewise, they're going going pretty strong. They've got Sean Klein back in after the World Cup. Simon Ziba's in there as well. So I think it's a it's a perfect storm of. The, the excitement post World Cup Ireland internationals all playing proximity to the Champions Cup kicking off in a couple of weeks and a bit of extra life being kickstarted back into the rivalry which is uh, setting things up nicely for tomorrow
1: On that rivalry have, have we turned now is it back to Munster being in the driving seat the, the tag is on there back are we back to the, the glory days of old school Munster rugby stick the ball under the shirt and drive on Munster dominance
0: Certainly not stick the ball up the shirt. I think if you look oh, at were just the, glory going over the last eighteen they were the glory <laughs> over days over the last eighteen months. <laughs> and I, I, mean, I think, in, in all seriousness, like if you're looking at who's going to win tomorrow, it's it's hard to realistically look past Leinster. I know Munster did win last time round, and they will raise their game because it's Leinster. But it's it's difficult to look at those two starting lineups side by side and not think Leinster are going to have an edge. Having said all of that. I think Munster players are aware and and the players and coaches that we've spoken to in the last couple of weeks have all made a point of saying it as well now they know there's a target on their backs not just from Leinster this season but from from every team and we've seen it uh we've seen us in in a few games so far the stormers last week we saw it when Munster were away against Benetton a few weeks ago as well um teams are raising their game when they're taking on Munster Ulster in that in that match a couple of weeks ago as well when they were depleted and minus so many players beating Munster up in Belfast. Teams are are timing their performances to to take on Munster and and the players and the coaches down in Thomond Park know that they have to step their game up ever so slightly when they are going to be when they are going to be playing each week.
1: How are Munster going to cope with that? Because that's not something that they're overly familiar with, having that target on their back. And particularly now Peter Armani stepping down as captain. What's the story there?
0: Yeah, that was a that was one that came out of the blue. And you know, Dermot Barron is going to be captaining them this weekend. There's no indication that that's the the permanent choice as of yet. Um, there are plenty of candidates there. Jack O'Donoghue has pretty much always captained Munster when he's been available, and when Peter O'Mahony hasn't been available, people are a little bit unsure. Maybe is he going to be the permanent selection since his his kind of place in the starting lineup isn't as as sure as it once was. Other options obviously Ty Byrne an established Irish international he's going to be one of the first names on the team sheet for Munster over the next few years as well and I think the other big outside option is Craig Casey someone who Uh, like Peter O'Mahony was given the captaincy at quite a young age and is someone who you I think just instantly identify with Munster he's someone who lives and breathes for for the province and has had captaincy roles all down through his underage grades and captained Ireland A last year as well and is a big a big vocal leader out on the pitch so I think they they do have plenty of options to work with Um, but I think Graham Roundtree is probably just biding
1: his time on this one Okay, well, we can hear from Leinster coach Leo Cullen. I know the the big big guns are back. The Ireland internationals are uh, starting for Leinster, but he was speaking about still tinkering with the side somewhat. And we're still experimenting with a few different combinations at this time of year, and, but yeah, like the combinations are they're they're taking shape, um, and guys are working hard.
0: Um, you know, we have a nice competitive group at the moment, which is what you want. I think we're just excited to get them to see the group play. You know, they they spend so much time together, our guys, you know, they know each other so well at this point. So it's just getting out there and doing their thing, which is, you know, playing the game that they all love and representing the friends and family and all the supporters that have supported them all through the years. So, um yeah, not an exciting prospect and hopefully the lads have put on a good show. And in terms of Munster and their selection, what did you make of that? um yeah like I, i'd heard that they've a few there's a few bangs and bruises so yeah, i'm not too sure exactly what's going on in their camp so r- regardless of who's selected you know we've seen it over the years whoever is selected will be very very competitive and you know that they'll be in the contest right to the very end
1: leo Collin did go on to say in, in the uh, media uh, this today or this morning that revenge isn't on the mind it's all just about getting the internationals back are you buying that Shirley? they 've lost twice now last time last two times in the Aviva yeah i'm not i'm not, I'm not buying that't I, <laughs> I don't think many people are um it definitely has
0: to be lingering in the back of their minds that they they have lost twice in a row with the Aviva and also as well that they you know that they just simply did lose against Munster uh, last time out I know a couple of Leinster players have Hinted that revenge is certainly going to be on their minds. And I don't think there's any issue with with having it, uh, never mind in the back of their minds, having it at the front of their minds. I think what people want is a Leinster and Munster rivalry that is full-blooded and is like what it was back in the, the late 2000s. On our podcast this week, we had Johnny Murphy on with us, former Munster wing, and he was saying... First time he played Leinster at the Aviva Stadium back in 2010 after moving back from Leinster, he said it was the most violent game he's ever played in his life. Now he wasn't even talking about any off the ball incidents, just the sheer physicality of the game. And yeah, I think most fans want a, a full blooded Leinster and Munster, Munster rivalry. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that if you're if you're if you're one of the fifty thousand
1: in tomorrow paying your money. Absolutely. And if you're not one of the 50,000, you can listen to live commentary on Saturday Sport on Radio <laughs> 1 um, in the Viva Stadium. There's also live commentary of the Bulls and Connacht. Uh, Connacht makes six changes for their trip to Pretoria, where temperatures could be hovering around 30 degrees for this one, Neil.
0: Yeah, that's 30 degrees, Shane, at altitude as well, just to make Oof. it a little bit more fun for Connacht. Um it was interesting, actually. They, uh, I always find it fascinating to see how, how teams approach going to altitude. In the past, we've seen someone like teams like Monster. They've gone out early in the week to try and acclimatise. Connex, obviously, have been in South Africa for the last ten days or so, but they, they stayed in their team base down in Durban where they had played last week. They stayed there up until this morning and just came up to to Pretoria this afternoon. So I think they're confident enough of just going straight in and dealing with the with the altitude at Loftus Versfeld. Maybe they believe that a few days of training actually doesn't really get you acclimatized to it anyway. So so why do all that traveling and just come up on the day of the match. But yeah, you did mention Connacht making a good few changes and I think the fact that they have beaten Sharks last week Sharks last week they're 4-1 and one through 5 games they probably are playing with house money ever so slightly uh, in round 6 you think they've got Leinster at home next week they might be putting a little bit of a pin on that one and just keeping half an eye on it resting the likes of Kean Prendergast Tom Farrell Caelan Blades on the bench Conor Oliver is on the bench as well and I think it's going to be pretty difficult for them uh, when you look at what the Bulls have coming back in they're obviously a side that lose very very rarely at home but also they're bringing back in some of their World Cup players, Marco van Staden into the back row, Billy LaRue making his debut for the Bulls after returning from Japan. He's in at uh, he's in at full back and also on the bench. Then they as well, they've 21 uh, year old Kanan Moody, who's one of the most explosive prospects in the game. So I think Connacht are going to be pretty much up against it tomorrow. They probably have an idea that they're going to be up against it and are possibly thinking ever so slightly with with half an eye on
1: Leinster next week. Okay, that's at 3 o'clock tomorrow. It's live in the box as well. Um, Staying with us, South African narrative, double World Cup winning Springbok prop Stephen Kitsoff is in line for his Ulster debut after being named among the replacements uh, for their trip to Glasgow tomorrow. Yeah, this has been in the post for a while.
0: It's it's more than a year since the signing itself was actually confirmed. Uh, It was confirmed quite early last season that he'd be linking up with uh, Ulster after the World Cup, but like Sean Klein, he was he was given his few weeks off after the after the World Cup, and is being brought in onto the bench tomorrow for Ulster. They're taking on uh, the Glasgow Warriors at Scotstoun, which is going to be a pretty tough game you look at the squad Ulster have picked and in particular, they've they've rotated a lot over these first few games as have most of the provinces because we're in this weird stretch at the moment where there's a game every single week right from the end of October just gone up until the middle of January. So I think it's about 12 or 13 weeks on the go and coaches are probably just trying to strategically map out their games and pick and choose what matches they have people available for. And if you look at Ulster, they've got a very, very inexperienced back row Reuben Crothers, Harry Sheridan and James McNab- McNabney. Uh, the likes of Dave Ewers is rested. Nick Timoney not around. Stuart McCloskey rested as well. They do have a lot of quality players in there and off is one of them. Uh, they have Ian Henderson available, Will Addison back from injury and Jacob Stockdale. But... I think if Ulster were to get over the line in this one it would be an absolutely an enormous result for them because uh, like themselves Glasgow have had a really really good start to the season sitting up around the top of the table and to pick this one off would leave them in a, in a very very healthy place uh, a third of the way through the regular season okay, but it's tough it. to see it
1: happening. Okay, we'll be interested to in see how that one does uh, play out. 25-8 to eight kickoff off uh, in Scotstoun. Uh, that's on-field action. You were covering a story this morning. Off-field, IRFU report strong finances ahead of expensive Rugby World Cup. The headline reads on the Orty Sport website.
0: Yeah, so that was literally just at um, six o'clock this evening the IRFU announced their uh, financial account, their uh, end-of-year accounts for the year ending 31st of July 2023. And um, it presents a healthy enough state of the state of the nation when it comes to Irish rugby. There was a deficit this year of just under a million euro, but uh, they had been projecting for a deficit of about seven and a half million euro. So to just lose one million when you were thinking you were going to lose seven and a half is is a decent uh, a decent twelve months all round. That's in large part, they say, down to the prize money they obviously got from Ireland winning the Six Nations Grand Slam in March, and they had a big sponsorship deal with Bank of Ireland for their November series as well. So that's where that pretty much six and a half million euro gap was made up. Um the interesting thing obviously is as they say, these figures don't take into account the Rugby World Cup, which obviously fell after July and Kevin Potts, the chief executive was was telling us that for next year's accounts that we are going to be expecting to see uh, quite a big deficit because he was talking about the, the cost of the World Cup, which is the most they've ever spent on sending a, an Irish team to a Rugby World Cup. They say it, it may not at an estimated well, it's the, they're estimating when they tally it all together for next year that it'll come in at around €15 million. Euro. Uh, €5 million Euro of that would be covered by World Rugby. Uh, so, if you think about the IRFU themselves, then it's it's ultimately a ten million euro cost for themselves. Now, a lot of that, well, some of that is the cost that they have themselves: their additional training camps, preparation camps, support staff around the team, and then just the logistics and player costs and hotels and such. But also, as well, obviously, they're they're taking into account the lost revenue that they wouldn't have had from the November Internationals, which obviously didn't take place. Now, there were summer warm-up games, but uh, Kevin Potts explained that these didn't really offset the the money they would get in a, in a normal November series. So they say, roughly speaking, next year, you probably are looking at a, a deficit of around €10 million Euro in the accounts. But going forward after that, things are looking pretty healthy and they're not really expecting to be in, in a deficit or a significant deficit for any future years in the in the immediate future after that
1: okay great stuff neil tracy uh thank you very much for taking the call and i must say best of luck i'm, I'm right in saying you're, you're about to take to the the pitch yourself
0: oh yeah just getting ready to head into the car now uh <laughs> for the big match in the dublin metro league division <laughs> five tower college welcoming um rats drum to Lakelands. Oh. Uh, hello to any of the rats drum lads who may be in the car on their way up to dublin <laughs> as we speak um Keep an eye out for me. I'll be the I'll be the bearded man struggling to keep up with the pace of play. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, listen. Then, yeah, you have to you have to find any time to get a to get an old game.
1: Absolutely. Well, best of luck. Hopefully that goes well. Might report on that tomorrow. Neil Tracy for now. Best of luck. Mind yourself. Thanks for taking the call. We are going to chat boxing next in the company of Siobhan Madigan.
3: RTE Two FM.
1: Game on. Boxing. Proudly fighting out of Bray County, Wicklow, Ireland, here is the 2012 Olympic gold medalist and the reigning undisputed lightweight champion of the world, she is the brave and beloved Bray boxer,
4: Katie Taylor! Taylor! I don't think I've ever been this motivated for a fight, to be honest, so I'm, uh... I just, um, I really, really just can't wait to step in there tomorrow and actually perform. Uh, I love this, uh, lo- I love my job. I love being involved in these big nights, and um, I-, I don't mind being being the underdog for this fight as well. So I just can't wait.
5: Knowing that you perform at your best, do you feel that will be enough to beat Chantelle Cameron?
4: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think I've put, I've, I've obviously put the work in over these last few months. Um, I'm ready for whatever comes my way. I think tomorrow night, but once I perform, I think that's going to be enough.
5: What's your message to? fans of why you need them through every punch, through every minute as long as this fight lasts tomorrow night?
4: Yeah, I mean the, the support is always uh, incredible yeah, it, it, it's, it's unbelievable um, even for the media workout out today the day as well, the, the amount of people that came out, I'm just uh, uh, it's, it's so humbling to, to, to see this really each and every time so I'm just so grateful and um, I hope I give them something to celebrate tomorrow night
1: well, we certainly are hoping for celebrations tomorrow night. As I mentioned, orty Sports Siobhan Madigan joins us. Who was at the weigh-in today? And Siobhan, um, Katie mentioned there that she doesn't think she's ever been as motivated for a fight, so she's certainly up for it. Well,
2: she is, and you know, the the, the difference in her appearance from yesterday today to today was like day and night. Yesterday. At her press press conference, um, she refused. She had organised a one to one sit down interview with myself, a round table with a number of our paper journalist colleagues, and and she just didn't she didn't feel like doing them, and and, and she didn't do them. And she looked tight, she looked uh, wound up, she looked perturbed by something. And today she came out, she had a smile on her face. She got in front of her own darling fans again, and and it just as i say it was, it was day and night but you know you do your talking between the between the ropes tomorrow night and and, and certainly she's got a massive massive big challenge in, in in Chantel Cameron because we saw Chantel what she could do to her in the first fight in may and you know both girls are saying that they're going to be stronger and they're going to be better tomorrow night well if Chantel Cameron is an improvement tomorrow night on what she was back in may well Katie is going to be really really up against it
1: is that out of sorts for Katie the kind of change in emotions in such a short period of time do you, do you put that down to nerves
2: you could put it down to nerves you know like uh, as i say yesterday when when she had that really uptight nature about herself I know Katie for, for many, many years. And the last time I had seen her as uptight as, as that was in 2007. Katie boxed at the, the Men's World Championships in 2007. She fought an exhibition fight against a Canadian girl. And it was to show her wares, show her talent. And a decision would be subsequently made as to whether women's boxing would be would be uh, permitted to, to go in, into the Olympics. As it happens, Katie won well. And the rest is history. But I hadn't seen Katie as uptight since then. And that's including the London Olympics when she won gold, including going into Tokyo when she had so many other personal distractions rather than what was her focus between the, the, the ring, between the ropes. And then, you know, she's had she's had numerous world title fights in the lead up to this But here we go now on on, on Saturday night. It's almost a career-defining fight for Katie Taylor.
1: Yeah, no, it is. It's monumental. And even, I think Chantal Cameron was saying, I literally feel zero pressure. I mean, it's all on Katie. I'm back in Dublin and Katie's country. And as much as I'm defending my belts, for me, it's just another fight. And one I've already won after the last time. And I think I'll win more convincingly this time. So I asked this question to you, Siobhan, and perhaps we we all might need to answer with head over Uh heart because we all want a big night for Katie in fighting professionally in Dublin. But there's a lot stacked against her. How do you think this one is going to play out?
2: There is a lot stacked against her. and um, In yesterday's press conference, her, her trainer, uh, Ross NMA, said this is a bit like Bernard Hopkins against Kev- Kelly Pavlik back in, in 2018 when they fought in Atlantic City. Bernard Hopkins was 43 years of age at the time. Pavlik was then a 26-year-old, 34 and old fighter. So nobody really gave Kelly uh, Bernard Hopkins a chance and he came out and blew him away. What's the chances that Katie Taylor can do similar tomorrow night? She could well do it, but Chantel Cameron had a tricep injury in her left arm the last day, so she couldn't throw a clean left-handed punch. So she effectively beat Katie Taylor one-handed 189 days ago. How much do you need to improve Wow! to beat a two-handed fighter?
1: Yeah, uh, but, that's
2: that's the reality of it. Like you know, Katie has given away weight. There was little between them, a the couple of ounces on the scales today. But uh, again, there's a huge difference by the time it's it's fight time tomorrow night. But Chantelle Cameron said that she had that torn torn tricep in her left arm the last time, and she hasn't got it this time. To counter that, Kelly, uh, Katie said that she had an ankle injury and she wasn't able to move around the ring, and she wasn't able to move her opponent around the ring. Well, it's not your footwork that throws the punches, is it?
1: You're not filling me with confidence, Siobhan. You're not <laughs> filling me with confidence. Um, yeah, but uh, I, fight, know, I know, know it is. The,
2: the nature of the fight game is, you know, doubt me at your peril, and let's let's not doubt Katie because we know that she has the ability to win fights. Mm. She's proven that time and time again. She's only ever lost twelve fights in all of her career through amateur and boxing in 221 contests to date. So, you know, don't ever anybody write Katie Taylor off because she'll come and blow you out of the water. But I'm just trying to put into perspective mm. for people the challenge that she has tomorrow night.
1: No, that's that's completely fair. Regardless of the outcome, is this going to be the last time we see Katie Taylor box?
2: <laughs> that's a $60,000 question you on the spot. Um, is it going to be is it going to be the last time we, we see our box in Dublin or is it going to be the last time we see our box no is the answer to, to both of those questions um, if Katie gets it back on track tomorrow and gets a victory well straight away there's going to be the talk of a trilogy straight away also there's going to be the talk of the rematch with Amanda Serrano and straight away also does Crow Park come back into it so A Katie victory tomorrow night brings us to the next level. A Katie defeat tomorrow night. Well, let's talk about that if it happens next week. Okay. Well, there's not going to happen.
1: Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. There's other narratives, though, at play tomorrow because there is a stacked undercard with a strong Irish contingent as well.
2: There is, yeah, uh, Gary Cully he's in against um, Reese Mould from England for the WBA Continental European Lightweight title Gary Cully fought on the undercard of the Chantal Cameron Katie Taylor one fight and got blown away uh, against uh, Felix Lopez so, you know, it's a redemption fight again for Gary Cully, his approach has to be similar, he's changed trainer he's had a, a, a training camp in Liverpool in the lead up to this he looked very relaxed at the weigh-in today but again, it's a turning point in his career. 16 wins up until the last time, blown away out of it. Gary Cully has, has questions to answer tomorrow night. Paddy Donovan at welterweight, he's undefeated. He's a protégé of Andy Lee and he looks the real deal. But he's going to be coming up against Danny Ball, who's an English champion at welterweight tomorrow night. It's going to be a big challenge for Paddy Donovan. And these are the kind of fights that can define which direction his his career goes from here because he's now kind of aligned himself with Matchroom and the sky's the limit you know if you can catch the judge's eye Thomas Carty the big big heavyweight from Dublin he's certainly a fans favourite he's uh, undefeated in six and he's in against uh, Dan Garber tomorrow night Thomas is eager to put on a, on a, a show for, for his fans he'd done it the first time out hopefully he'll do it tomorrow night and then there's a WBC interim featherweight uh, fight, also a world title fight, between Lucy Wildheart, the former Olympian, the Australian uh, champion, again, or sorry, excuse me, she's the Swedish challenger against the Australian champion Sky Nicholson, Who knows what's going on? That that, that really could be fight of the night. And don't forget Emmett Brennan, the Tokyo Olympian. He's just making his second uh, professional outing tomorrow night in a Celtic light heavyweight uh, bout against Jamie Morrissey, who really fancies himself, Morrissey. He's from uh, Limerick. He's a Thai uh, convert to boxing. Both of these are, you know... (laughs) Touching 30 in Jamie Morrissey's case, Emmett Brennan is the wrong side of 30. So, you know, time is against them. If they they are to do anything in the boxing career, maybe tomorrow night is the place to start for either of them.
1: Okay, well I'll certainly be cheering on Emmett Brennan a man from my neck of the woods Um, Siobhan Madigan thank you very much for taking the call perfectly laid out it should be a cracker of uh, a night in the tree Arena tomorrow there'll be live updates on the RT Sport website of Katie's Katie's Fight and indeed uh, all of the action on the undercard as Siobhan has uh, outlined there we are taking a short break there, we're chatting football with Alan Colley and Fergal Brennan
2: RTE
1: 2FM Now it is time to chat Association Football We are going to mark The return of the Premier League However news Just reaching us From Cork City And that is The managerial appointment Of Tim Clancy As the club's New men's First team head coach Fergal Brennan And Alan Colley Join me Alan I must come to you uh, With that Breaking news I suppose What do you make of that? Yeah, I'm just following it myself here, Shane, as you say, breaking news.
3: Uh, And I'm delighted to see Tim back involved because uh, he's um, a bright up-and-coming manager. I know things didn't work out for him at St. Pat's, but he had done a brilliant job at Drawer previous to that so he's been out of the game obviously all season since he lost his job at St. Pats but um, I don't think that has dented his confidence too much and it's good to see him back in the game with a huge opportunity uh, you'd have to say Cork City as we know a massive club you would like to think this will be the start of the rebuild now getting Tim at the helm because I felt that was important when they lost um, Colin Healy they never replaced him last year and uh, there was a lot of uncertainty on and off the pitch with Cork City so if they are to get back in the Premier Division uh, they do need a big rebuild and this is a very important cog in that Wales so as I say I'm delighted to see Tim back and, and I think it's a good appointment
1: absolutely will be interesting to see if that can galvanise the rebel army uh, in Cork City um, as I mentioned though we are going to chat Premier League football Alan you're on the line as is Fergal Brennan and I suppose gentlemen only one place to start Fergal if I bring you into the conversation that is the 12.30 kick-off tomorrow between Manchester City and Liverpool as uh, the Guardian newspaper writes for subplots sideshows and headline narratives Manchester City's hosting of Liverpool is the weekend's only show in town what are you most looking forward to in this uh, battle Fergal
5: I'm looking forward to kind of a bit of a measuring stick of our liverpool back. Um I've been saying for the last few weeks that you know talk of their demise over the summer was was greatly exaggerated. Obviously they missed out on a, on a top four place and a Champions League qualification at the the back end of last season, but from covering them from from going to press conferences I was at Klopp's press conference today as well. You get the sense that he's I wouldn't say motivated again because I don't think he ever really lost it, but you can see there's something about him. There's a really good video on Twitter with um Vinny O'Connor, the Sky Sports journalist that covers Liverpool, and he grabbed him uh, at the training ground <laughs> and gave him a big hug. And you just kind of you, you kind of get the sense with Klopp that he really has, to, to steal a bit of a cliche, he's got the bit between his teeth. And normally when he's in this type of mood, he absolutely relishes going up against Guardiola. And Guardiola knows that, that Arsenal are in the mix and that Mikel Arteta's has presented a different type of problem for him to deal with in terms of challenging for the league title. But it's been Klopp. Realistically, in terms of Guardiola as City manager, that has been his main rival. Liverpool have been the main rival, and you, they're not the same team that they were 18 months or two years ago. But you get the sense that they really are building something. And, and, and I'm looking, I'm going to this game tomorrow to cover it, and I'm really looking forward to it because I think it could be a cracker.
1: Alan, as Fergal said, there they're not the Liverpool of 18 months or or two years ago and it seems like it is clicking for Liverpool now so is this the litmus test as to how much it is clicking for Jurgen Klopp?
3: Yeah, but I suppose to be fair, Shane, if you're building a new team or a new look team, you're never going to be uh, what the old team was and, and as I say, there is a freshness and an energised kind of feeling around Liverpool and the manager as well. Fergal used that phrase there, the bit between his teeth. I would look at him and think the fire is back in the belly with Klopp um, because he's energised by these new signings, particularly the ones in midfield. We always talk about the firepower which they have up front, which will give them a chance in every single match across the course of a season. Will that be enough to win them a league? I think it'll definitely put them in with a good shout, but as you here. it's a massive massive game tomorrow against the best of the best in Man City so um even though Arsenal have been the the nearest challengers obviously uh, the last kind of 18 months I still think Guardiola fears Liverpool out of all the teams that he comes up against and Fergal's right when he says he probably fears Klopp as well because he has had the edge over him in in lots of times Uh, it's always a bit of tit for tat with him which I like, there's a friendly rivalry a good rivalry and a very competitive rivalry so I'm so looking forward to the game I'd love to think Liverpool will get back to the levels that they were at obviously with the brilliant teams that he had two or three years ago and I think they're well underway. I really like the look of this Liverpool team, Shane. So it should be an absolute cracker tomorrow.
1: What will the defining factor be, Alan, in in deciding the result of this match?
3: Yeah, well, like there, I think there'll be... I don't know Can you pin it down to just one area of the pitch because there's quality all over the pitch. But I suppose everybody speaks about um, Man City and the quality they have up front. And Haaland speaks for himself. And you look at Grealish and Foden and Bernardo Silva and all the ones that the names just roll off the tongue. But I'm really interested to see can the Man City defence cope with Liverpool's firepower? I think Salah looks and now I know he's had an unbelievable goalscoring record and he's been phenomenal at reaching serious levels with Liverpool since he's been there but I just think he looks as though he's energized as well, as fit as I've seen him in a long time, so sharp um, looks so deadly in front of goal as well as he always does so it'll be just really interesting to see Command Man City cope with Liverpool's firepower. Nunes as well offers a totally different challenge than what the Man City players have faced before with Liverpool with the likes of Firmino and Sadio Mane, he's a big physical presence as well that will love to throw himself about, himself about I know Man City are physically strong at the back and Ruben Diaz and Akanji, John Stones but I definitely think this will be a challenge that that they won't have faced before so that's the key thing for me can they keep those quiet up front for Liverpool if I if they can I think Man City will win the match but I don't think they can Shane that's the thing I love this Liverpool uh, firepower what to have Lee behind them as well so that's going to be the in- intriguing battle for me and I think Salah and Nunes could cause serious
1: damage Sticking with that narrative, then Fergal, what or whose defence is better placed to suffocate the opposition attack? Like who, who is in the stronger position in that regard?
5: City, um, and I think a big part of that is because of the changes that Guardiola has implemented over the last six to 12 months where he, he's gone away from this idea of they want to smother teams and have 75, 80% or maybe more possession and just kind of grind the, the opposition down. Now they play, I know John Stones is missing, but with Rodri, with uh, Diaz, Vardial, Ake, Akanje, He likes this idea of having almost four or five players that are either central defenders or central defensive players right in the middle of the pitch just to have that block so that when teams do break forward, whether they're Liverpool or whoever they come up against, it's very, very difficult to get through because you've got players who are already in position, waiting to make a tackle, waiting to make a block and then just pounce because you've committed so many men forward. And I think City have shown that they're really good at that and having that, added physicality in the middle of the pitch whether it's in central defence or central midfield has been really important to them because we know that Doku and Haaland and Silva and whoever else in in the attacking third can can go and score goals and and tear teams to bits but that's something that he's really looked to address. He's a real methodical operator Guardiola as we all know he wants to make sure that there isn't any sort of a weakness that teams can potentially exploit and I think that will be that will be a real issue for for Liverpool. I agree with Alan on on Nunez. I'm I'm interested to see how he stands up tomorrow because he's he's still yet to have a huge game against the Man City or a Man United scoring a couple of goals, having a huge impact on the game. I think he is a bit unfairly judged in some respects, but he I still think he's missing that performance against the title rival to say, I deserve to be starting every week through the middle. Me, Salah, whoever's the other attacker, I want to make sure that I'm playing. So it'd be interesting to see how he gets on and Ruben Diaz loves a, a good dust up with a big centre forward. So that'll be quite interesting as well. Dust up good terminology. Old good. I like
1: it, <laughs> I like it. Uh, Pep Guardiola has said in the past if City were found guilty of any charges he would leave. However, today he said he would be sticking with the club even if they were in League Two. Um, and as Simon Stone reports uh, on the BBC website, um, he stressed an important point. Everton were charged with breaching FFP. City have been charged with hiding sponsorship deals, playing, paying Roberto Mancini via third party, and not cooperating. Evidently, the cases are completely different, and it may be sometime before Cities is concluded. However, that does lead me on to Everton and the situation ongoing with them. Fergal, I know you've been covering the story um, closely. There are plenty of protests to be expected.
5: There is, it'll be a weekend of protests in relation to Everton Football Club. There was two, possibly three fans meetings last night um, that were really well attended. There's there's a huge amount of anger and frustration within Everton fans and personally I would say justifiably so, um, particularly in terms of the fact that this has never happened before and the The feeling is that if this is going to stand as a punishment and there's not going to be a suspension of the points deduction, then what is coming down the road for for other teams that could potentially be hit with punishments? Um, There's an Everton protest at the Premier League headquarters tonight in London. There'll be a plane flown over the Etihad tomorrow at the City-Liverpool game. Um, Everton have said, or rather the Everton fan groups have said, that's not in a direct relation to Manchester City. It's more connected to the fact that there'll be no light on Sunday afternoon when they play Man United at half four read into that what you will, but it is true. Uh, it was dark here today at four o'clock, so they, they do have a bit of a point. Um, but the big one will be Sunday when they play Man United at Goodison. Um, there's been a huge amount of money raised within fan groups for banners, for posters, and it'll be a, a really tense, tense atmosphere. There's been stories that Sky will cut the audio from Goodison Um according to what Ofcom have said this afternoon they can't cut it completely um, but they do have grounds to reduce it if they think there'll be offensive language and I think there'll be a fair bit of offensive language so I think the noise will be reduced um, and, and I, I think a lot of Everton fans do have a position on this because they don't have a lot of faith that when inevitably other cases do come up that the punishment won't be equal to what they have been hit with that might not be the case we obviously can't predict the future in that sense but given the amount of money that they are effectively um, in violation of, they think that that is unfair and that they're being made an example of. And until we see another case to balance against it, that does seem to be the situation. Well, best of luck to behind the paywall.
1: Sky Sports are going to quieten down fans. Um, Alan, (laughs) Onana is fit, Uh, Shaw is fit, Hoyland is doubtful. How will Manchester United cope with all this um, off-field emotional pressure?
3: Yeah, well, I think that comes with the territory, uh, Shane, to be fair, when you're playing at a club. And uh, regardless of whether it's Everton, you only have to look at the problems that Man United have themselves in terms of the noise that they're faced with and the pressure playing every week. And a lot of them have struggled in that regard. And that's been one of the major problems, uh, especially with lads with some big price tags as well and really have have struggled since they've gone to Old Trafford. The positive for Man United, and we haven't mentioned many of them, Shane, I suppose, over the course of the season, <laughs> but they are in decent form. Uh, I think they've if they won four of their last five albeit against weaker opposition and opposition that you would expect them to be beaten. And they might be just crawling over the line. But they've got wins uh, in recent weeks, which is obviously... um been badly needed when you look at the situation and how it's played out over the season and I suppose that's what Ten Hag has to focus on and has to look at even when you look at the table when you think how dire and how negative the whole season has been they're still sitting in is it six or seven place, so uh, they're on the coattails of obviously the, the teams in the European places ahead of them they're still miles off a title challenge um, but certainly in terms of the European places they're on the coattails of the teams there and that's what he has to focus on do I have any faith in them or do I think the, the fact that they're on a decent run of form with a couple of wins to have think that they've turned the corner or think that they're on the right road maybe to progression absolutely not I think it'll be a tough game again for them at the weekend against Everton as I think every game is for them but I'm yet to be convinced and there's some serious
1: work still to do uh, for Ten Hag and for this Man United team Alan elsewhere on Sunday Spurs Villa at 2pm it's the first time Ange I suppose has been tested in terms of a couple of shaky results how will Ange and indeed Spurs respond
3: yeah I'll be interesting Shane I'm looking forward to this game and it's a pity we don't have obviously um, Spurs at full strength going into this against a rampant Aston Villa team as well because the two teams play such an attractive brand of football as well so expansive in how to play they want to attack they want to score goals and that's the concern for Spurs we mentioned it in the early weeks if they were to lose or Romero lose or Madison like we've seen now um, that they're going to be hit hard and that's obviously going to be the struggle for them we never suggested that they'd be um, up there in terms of challenging but I thought if the cookie keep their best 11 or 12 on the pitch for um, the remainder of the season for as long as possible that they would be in the mix or hanging on the coattails of maybe a Man City and a a Liverpool or an Arsenal. But I just think with the suspensions, and obviously uh, the injury to Madison, which is massive as well. Van de Veen has been so impressive since he's come in, another one, uh, that they just can't afford to lose because it's not not so much that you're losing a brilliant player, you're not replacing them with a brilliant player because you have the likes of Eric Dyer, Ben Davis, no disrespect to them, but I think if Pasta Coglu is in the building longer and and has replacements for them, I don't think they'd be playing, and that's the unfortunate situation for them at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I'd have to fancy Villa, because Spurs don't have their first 11 um, and, and we shouldn't forget that Emery's done an unbelievable job mm. and despite all the plaudits for Pasta Coglu, Emery's done an absolutely incredible job he really has and he deserves as much credit as what Pasta Coglu was getting
1: Okay, uh final word to you, Fergal Brennan. Uh hopefully Ferguson plays well for Brighton, Darrow Shea for Burnley. Be interested to see what goalkeeper starts for Arsenal if Rea returns to face Brentford. But I want to ask about Newcastle v Chelsea. It is seventh v tenth. Who needs this result more in the in terms of their journey in the season so far?
5: Uh I'd actually go for Newcastle, um because I still think that Pochettino's position at, at Chelsea, he's being afforded a bit more breathing space because there's so much work to be done and you still don't know what's going to happen. I mean, they if we saw that in the last game, the 4 all draw against Manchester City, but then you look at it in terms of their away form, they've actually won the last three away from Stamford Bridge, which is a very odd statistic to measure against a team that's trying to get some some sort of stability in there. Um, Newcastle, I think, given the games that they've coming up, they really could use a boost. They've got PSG in midweek, they've got United next weekend, they've got Everton after that. The Champions League position picture, sorry, has changed a little bit in the last couple of games. They're now kind of fighting to get into the last 16, whereas based on the first two games, you thought this is on, they're going to do it. Um, so I think this will be for Newcastle. Um, they did they do have a big injury list, but back at St James's Park, even if they are a bit patched up and kind of just having to make do to, to get themselves ready for PSG, I think it's more important for, uh, for them to... Just in terms of team news, you said there about, about David Raya, he, he's ineligible, so he won't play. It will be Ramsdale. Arteta said that this afternoon. Um, and for Everton, Sean Dyche said that Seamus Coleman could be on the bench against United on Sunday. He wouldn't be committal on it, but he said he uh, played for the under-21s in midweek, so it's a possibility that Coleman could be on the bench Uh
1: Okay. For Sunday. Okay, well, excuse my ignorance. I'm going to be stripped. No, off. no. Like, I'm going to be stripped of that Goalkeepers Union membership, I tell you. Um, Alan Colley, Fergal, Brennan, thank you both very much for taking the call. Hopefully, it is a great weekend of football, and thank you for setting us up nicely for it.
3: Game on. Check out the podcast on the RCE Radio Player app.
1: Now, we are going to chat racing in the company of Jane Mangan, as is tradition of a Friday. Jane, how are you?
6: I'm very well and and very much looking forward to two days of Punchestown. with, it might be cold in terms of weather, but it will really warm your appetite for proper racing.
1: Absolutely. Two days live on RT television, you're going to be there with the uh, racing gang. So let's start with Saturday and the Morgana Hurdle. Four runners evenly split between Elliot and Mullins. High expectations, I suspect, on the return of the Willie Mullins trained Stateman.
6: For sure. A lot of people at home might be thinking, geez, four runners, that's such a small field. Well, it was four runners last year when Stateman won. It was three uh, runners the year before when Charger won. Uh, this isn't unusual for the Ma- Morgana Hurdle, and there's probably only so many horses that fit into this category around. Each of them are highly rated, two of them from Willie Wallen Stable and two of them from Gordon Elliott. But Stateman has a near flawless record, the only time that he's been beaten in open company was in last year's champion hurdle at Cheltenham and we all know what Constitution Hill can do but he went there last year as Ireland's leading contender and he just wasn't good enough he came back to Punchestown. Town he put Vauban in his place by making all and he's he's an exemplary horse he's rated 166 he's won five grade ones and you would expect him to bounce back to winning ways here uh, Echo's in rain his stable mate is against him she's ran against him on a few occasions she's keen she's She's a good filly, but she shouldn't be good enough to beat him. Pied Piper is an interesting horse because he's five turning six, so he has the profile that he might well well improve this year. He was second in the county hurdle, narrowly tonight under Davy Russell at Cheltenham. And he's probably going to lay down the most of a challenge to state man here, so... It looks like Stateman is going to be short odds to go back to back in the Unibet Morgiana hurdle, but it is good to see him back and it's a week before he will also see his stable mate uh, Pass uh, in the Hatton's Grace at Fairy House next year. So, so the Constitution Hill is good, but we're going to hopefully keep him honest and by doing that, he's going to have to, he's going to, have to pass the assignment uh, tomorrow.
1: Absolutely. So that's a big one tomorrow. because the to post at two thirty-five. But on Sunday, Jane, talk to me about the John Durkin Memorial Chase because so many people are looking forward to the return of Gallopin de looking for a bit of a revenge on Faster
6: Slow. Uh, would you say revenge? I don't know. I, I, I look, at Faster Slow ran in this race last year, and, and he was well beaten. Gallopin de the highest rated tra- chaser in training. He's a reigning Cheltenham Gold Cup winner, and. I think maybe Punchestown was the end of a long season last year. Himself and uh, Brave Man's game were racing in Punchestown a long way from home, and Faster Slow picked up pieces at the end, but what's most important about this John Durkin is it's two and a half miles, and I think Faster Slow is best at three miles plus, so Gallopin De Champ is a Gold Cup winner. Obviously, that's three and a quarter miles, but he has tactical pace. He's able to cru- cruise at a high pace and be very effective at this trip as well. This is Willie Mullins. Versus Martin Brazel, the six runners in here. Five of them are from the one stable, and again, a lot of people will be dissatisfied with that. But they're all quite good horses. Uh, appreciated. He he won a supreme himself. He he threw away a few chases last year by jumping left, but he is very very effective. Uh, Blue Lord is a very classy horse. He's the mount ja- Darrell Daryl Jacob. Uh, Asterian for and Statler make up the numbers there. William Mullins has won this uh, I think he's won it nine times since Florida Pearl won it in 2001 but very few of those nine will have the class of Gallup and Deschamps he's extremely exciting he's seven turning eight he was as I said he's the highest chaser race chaser in training up 179 and it will be fantastic to see him back Uh, this is an important race for him because a lot of people have great expectations for him now as the reigning champion now he needs to go and do it
1: Absolutely. Alan Colley was uh, questioning Ruby uh, earlier on in the week about when Willie Mullins was out dominating headlines. Perhaps it will be uh, this weekend. Let us stick with domestic racing, Jane, because no doubt there's plenty more to be keeping an eye on uh, over the weekend at Punchestown.
6: Oh, for sure. Like tomorrow's Florida Pearl novice chase is a brilliant race. Uh, Affordale Fury beat Favre de Chandu when they met in the beginners at Galway last month. Uh, They're in against uh, Flooring Porter. Of course, three-time grade one winning stairs hurdle winner. Calixios, who won over fences last time at Limerick, he's the 2021 Triumph Hurdle winner, and then throw in the likes of Sandor Clegane, who finished third in the Albert Bartlett behind Affordel Fury and Stayway Faye. That is a proper race, uh, the Florida Pearl and a horse I actually like in it is a uh, Churchstone Warrior, because I think he's quite experienced. The race before that is on paper, just a beginner's chase, but Gaelic Warrior lines up here. This week, for this last 10 days, for beginner's chases has been unbelievable. From In the Pocket and Fasal Vega to Fact File American Mike, we saw Classical Dream with an exemplary round of jumping at Thurlis uh, during the week. And uh, William Mullins won the Beginner's Chase at Fairy House today as well. But Gaelic Warrior will be on a list, a lot of lists um, tomorrow to see that beginner's chase. And there's Mayor's Hurdle on Sunday as well, where she could be anything. Ryoga Choice, Broomfield Bijou, that's quite a good race in against um, Anna Benina. And imagine for Gordon Elliott in the Bet Victor Craddockstown Novice Chase, he'll take a lot of beating uh, on, on that card as well. So there's lots domestic, but there's also some very good action across the water.
1: Indeed, there is. That brings us on to Haydock. It's a small field, but plenty of competition in the Grade 1 Betfair Chase, Jane.
6: Yeah, it's due off at three o'clock tomorrow. Four runners, but all of them rated uh, 159 or higher. Cork Rambler is the one rated 159. That's hard to believe given what he did last season. Protectorat last year's winner is in there, fresh after a wind operation over the over the summer period. Royal Pagai is in there, but Brave Man's Games top of the market. Uh, he, for Paul Nichols and Daryl Jacob, he just looks like he has the profile. He he was second in the Cheltenham Gold Cup. He was uh, obviously third at Punchestown. He was beaten on his seasonal reappearance, but I'm not going to get too disheartened by that because I think Miles Morris's Gentleman's Game will prove to be quite a good horse. He got beaten by him on his last run, but with the benefit of that sharpener, I think he's going to take a lot of beating in the Betfair chase.
1: Okay, in terms of Irish interest, uh, Willie Mullins has a runner a little earlier in the graduation chase and also Emmett Mullins rides in the Betfair Hurdle.
6: Yes, in the 150, the graduation chase, um, it's two mile five, it's run on soft ground. It looks like it's ideal conditions for Guyard de Manil. He won the National Hunt Chase at Cheltenham last year under Patrick Mullins. Patrick retains the ride here. It's quite a small field and it looks like he's, you know, they found the right spot for him. Apple away is a grade one winning hurdler for Lucinda Russell. She won at Aintree. She's probably going to be his biggest challenge, but... I think this is a good bit of placing by the champion trainer. And you mentioned the the Betfair hurdle as well. Emmett Mullins obviously sending over Slate Lane, who's won his last three. He's well in form. He's going up in the ratings, but for Dunham Myler and Paul Byrne, he has another serious chance of landing a big pot. Willie actually also saddles fine margin in that. His first run for the yard, the Mount of Brian Hayes, he's got a bit of a lighter weight and, you wouldn't write off Chris Sutton in any race so I certainly wouldn't be overlooking him in that I think top of the market is currently Crambo for Fergal O'Brien a big opportunity for Conor Brace young rider for him from Wales this could be a, a stepping stone to bigger things for him
1: Okay, great stuff. Jane Mangan, thank you so much for taking the call. As I mentioned, two days of live racing and RT television and updates across uh, Radio 1 and Saturday Sport and Sunday Sport. Sinead, that is all we have time for. Big thanks to Max and Andrew for working on uh, this evening's show. Blonda Tracy is up next with the official chart show. Marie is back on Monday. Have a great weekend, full of sport from all of the Game On team. It is bye for now.
5: RTE 2FM.